I don't see science as an alternative to God. I think I see science as God's testimony about God. Welcome to the Search in Your City podcast. I'm your host, Blaine Larson, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Today, my guest is Brian DeVries. Brian is area director in the Twin Cities up there in Minnesota, covered up in snow, I hear, Brian. (laughs) And uh, uh, Brian comes to us from Lockheed Martin, where he was a senior manager there. Brian joined our team about a year ago on Valentine's Day, if I remember that correctly. So uh, we love you, Brian. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm glad you're glad you're with us. And and uh, so I get to I get to brag on you a little bit. Your your resume is just impressive. There's no way around it. You've got a BA and a Master of Science in Physics, and then another Master of Science in Technical Management. So you're by trade a scientist, a physicist, and a manager. And at Lockheed Martin, when we were able to snatch you away uh, from them. Uh, you were you were last overseeing thirty four of their sites and seventy plus employees in a multi million dollar budget. And look, you left all that at the height of your career to come do search. And so, my, I got a just a real pointed question for you. You seem like a smart guy. Why would you do something like that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I remember uh, turning in my notice at Lockheed Martin when I'd made the decision to start working for search. And so it was about two weeks from my departure date. And I started getting people come into my office asking me the very same question. Um, and actually, you no, know, they, they would come into my office and they would put forward the question. So uh, who picked you up? Was it uh, Boeing? Uh, you know, was it... Um, some other defense firm, you know, and they would try and query me because they thought, you know, there's a lot of trading of individuals among the industry. And and I said, no, I, I actually, I've decided to go into full-time ministry. And there would be a pause usually, and I would get this, no, really, you can tell me. It's okay. And, and they just couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't understand why I would, why I would do such a thing. And I had about two weeks of this of uh, people coming into my office and asking me this basic question: you know, Why would you? Why would you give up this career that was this, you know, security blanket type career where you've got great possibilities for future, and if nothing else, even just staying put was a was a great blessing, and it was. Um, but that meant I had conversations with people that were atheists, Muslims. Um, Christians, all putting forward that real question about why you would give up something that was, uh, in the worldview, um, a real price to hold in terms of position. And I had, I had been a fan of Ravi Zacharias's apologetics for a long time. And in the summer of 2018, I had gone to their uh, Oxford Center of Christian Apologetics that they held for a uh, uh, business leaders. And boy, I came out of that realizing this is what I want to do and thought I would do it kind of as a tent maker on the side, um, making presentations, speaking at different places and universities, which I did. Uh, but then I got a call from the gentleman who wrote my recommendation for Oxford and, and he said, Hey, you know, there's an opening here at search ministries. And I thought, 
you know, there's no way I can turn around and look at this five years from now and have said, I'm not interested. I really had to take it. Well, we're really glad you did. We're thankful to have you. And you've had quite the experience for the last year up in the Twin Cities, working with our longtime area director up there, Bill Mast. And I'm just curious, as this coronavirus has affected the whole country, what are you guys noticing in in the Twin Cities? You know, that's a really interesting question. I mean, we've definitely seen um, a change, I think, with the COVID-19 virus. Um, we used to see, and everybody was seeing this, I think, this increasing trend of individuals that said, hey, look, you know, I just, I don't like to think about these things of mortality, destiny, origin, purpose, that it's just too difficult. I, I'm just not going to think about it. It's not a big deal. I don't see why I have to consider that. And much like what we saw with the 9-11 event, the COVID-19 virus is really prompting people to think about their own mortality. There's really no way around it. They're going to have to think about it at some point. And so this kind of brings that sense of your own weakness or mentality to the forefront. Um, so I, I, it's a, it's an interesting effect. It's really driven a lot of changes too. in in the response that we've seen in some of our events, uh, we had an event at a major medical device manufacturer as a forum and they normally would see about 50 people participate in the event. And this was converted to an online event because of some of the uh, safety considerations for exposure. And they saw a sustained attendance for the event over 100 people. And so it was twice their normal attendance rate. And, and they were getting people signing up for their local Christian business network at twice the rate now that they used to see as well. So it was really cool. Yeah, that's really fascinating, and it goes along with something I was reading this morning on a major news outlet that had a headline of something to the effect of, is is this a new religious awakening in America? And it seems anecdotally like this crisis is causing people to, to ask the questions that you're posing uh, all over the country, and and so I think that's an astute observation. Well, any any uh, conversations that you've had specifically in the last few days that you think our audience would find interesting? Well, it wasn't necessarily just a, um, in the past few days. A little bit longer ago than that, I'd say about a week or so ago or a couple of weeks ago, we had had an open forum, and there was a non-believer or seeker individual that was in attendance. And it was really interesting to hear his response to some of these questions about origin, meaning, purpose, and destiny. And he had followed the logic of Darwinian atheism, and he didn't like the result. I mean, he he correctly deduced that well, this really leads to nihilism, you know, the rejection of all religious and moral principles, and the belief that life is meaningless. And this was just too depressing a result, he thought, to to be of any true usefulness. And so he indicated that at least adopting Christianity from a sense of a pragmatism was really a pretty good option. Um, he hasn't necessarily, uh, to my understanding, made that choice, but he certainly sees the appeal from that perspective. And I think a lot of people are beginning to see that. So it's it's interesting to see how this is really pushing people to to get off the fence. I mean, you're going to have to make a decision for one way or another. And, you know, whether it's the fact that we're going to get hit with a bus tomorrow, die of a virus in a week, or live 100 years. I mean, the decision is still coming. We still need to be ready for having made it. So for if somebody in our audience who maybe goes, 
I don't know what Darwinian atheism is. Can you give us the 30-second version of why does that worldview lead to the despair that you were describing? The traditional arguments that describe Darwinian atheism um, can be varied in some form or another, but the basis of them are that it is random processes that occur without any guidance that given the combination of time and probability, we result in uh, primordial organisms leading to our our current observed uh, animal and um, organism makeup that we see in our world today. Um, it's it's strictly that unguided process that really is the key element of the Darwinian atheism, and so it. it lends itself well to uh, not having any God, creator, or guiding force at any time. The, the problem, however, though, with Dorian atheism is it really doesn't address the issue of origin. You still need to have a living organism to start with. So Darwinian atheism picks up from the fact that, well, assuming we have one of these and we evolve it from this primordial soup into um, organisms in a in a sea or ocean or water-based environment, transitioning onto land and eventually becoming uh, the upright humans that we currently see today. And that's really what what you could pretty much boil Darwinian atheism down to. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. So given your background, Brian, this is something that I'm really curious to see how you'd you'd answer. So how do you square your training in science and the scientific method, everything that you've learned – on that side with your belief in God and even more particularly your belief that God wrote a book called the Bible. I mean, a lot of people would say those things don't go together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the uniqueness of being a scientist or having been trained as a scientist and to look at things from a perspective of, of how did it get there? You know, the origin, purpose, design question. Um, I often make a distinction here when we get to these kinds of questions. You know, science may describe the mechanisms of something, you know, how it works. And you still are left with a question of design, intent, and purpose that is missing when you've gotten done with your scientific explorations and descriptions. So I'll often use the description of a Chevy 350 engine. You can get a mechanic that is completely versed in every piece and component of that engine, knows everything about it, how to put it together, how to take it apart, even can make some replacement parts if necessary in order to keep it running. Well, and for for a Chevy, they're going to be doing that a lot. Too, just oh, come FYI. on. I suppose you're, you're telling me you're the Ford guy here. I probably <laughs> used the wrong example. <laughs> but uh, the example still stands from the standpoint that it would, it would seem odd for that mechanic to turn around then and say, hey, because I understand all this, I don't think there was ever a General Motors that, that built this. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot in the scientific community is we confuse being able to understand how something works with origin, purpose, and design. And, you know, being a believing scientist, one of the things that I love is when you're doing explorations, I I don't see science as an alternative to God. I think I see science 
is God's testimony about God. You're looking at how he did things. You're looking at the fingerprints left behind of, of uh, you know, the, the way things were put together, the way things operate. You know, everything from the miracle of the blood cascade for coagulation and forming a clot if you get cut or something. The amazing, you know, process that exists there with 13 separate processes having to interact exactly perfectly every time, all the time. You know, think about that having to come together in a statistical probability event. It's just mind-boggling. Um, even being asked, you know, how did, you know, it just, how did things begin in terms of origins? Even Richard Dawkins makes the statement that, well, he believes in directed panspermia, which is this scientific word for aliens left DNA behind here for origins, which really doesn't answer the question. It just pushes the question to the left. And, you know, they have to try and figure out then, well, where did the aliens come from? The probability events to me have been probably the most moving. And as we know more and more about how the cell functions and develops, I mean, it is just astounding the remote chances that these things happen, you know, given unguided processes and design. I mean, even the more we understand about DNA, there's just not enough time for the random processes that we now understand that, that govern mutations in, in DNA to result in the kind of changes in organisms to quote-unquote evolve. And now we're starting to get into field of epigenetics, where it talks about how other factors turn on and off various components in the DNA to allow adaptation of organisms to their environment. And what's fascinating about that even is that that's a design element. It's as if there was a foreknowledge that this was going to be needed and the very mechanisms that you need to be able to adapt to the environment around you and organisms is already pre-programmed into the DNA. It's just fascinating. I, I just find everything we look at in terms of the scientists' discoveries of, of places and organisms and structures to be something that bears witness to the creative capabilities and the wonders of God himself. Well, it's a complex topic. I mean, you've introduced all kinds of ideas here already, but I think to bottom line it for everyone that's, that's listening, it, it, that's what I would say. This is not as simple as it's science versus God or the Bible, or if you believe in, quote, science, you can't believe there's a God or anything like that. That's pretty reductionistic and, and simple. And these these are complex questions, thoughtful people have wrestled with them for millennia, actually, and and they're they're fascinating. And actually, these two things do really go well together. So we'll talk about that. We'll pick that up later down the road, Brian, when we have you back. So uh, to leave us, though, I would love to have you share some kind of encouragement from the Bible with us. We've been doing that on this podcast, and what do you have for us? You know, this may sound kind of demented, but I was reading through Deuteronomy. And, through uh, what? <laughs> Deuteronomy. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was reading through Deuteronomy 8, and I kept running into God wanting his people to remember where they've been and what they've done and constantly using the word remember, remember, remember. And I was trying to figure out why, you know, why is he doing this? Why is he wanting them to do that? And then I read through verses 11 through 17 of chapter 8. 
It said, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand may need this wealth. And it just seemed like today the coronavirus here is reminding us that what we've forgotten, which was God was in charge. And this idea that it's so easy for us to become complacent and reliant on our own capabilities, our own powers, and just totally let it evaporate from our mind that who gave us the abilities that we have and who gives us the, the uh, strength to carry on every day. You know, these are things that we need to remember that God gives us. And so that's what I would really leave you with today, that it's God's power and his strength that made us who we are, where we are, and what we are. Well, that is a, it's an interesting passage and great observations. It reminds me of a professor that I had actually who shared this little nugget with with our class, but about God remembering. And he made the observation that in the scripture, when it talks about God remembering or God forgetting, uh, of course, God God knows everything and he always does and he doesn't remember and forget stuff like we do. So what is it what does that mean when it says it that way? What kind of seems like it's saying that? And uh, he goes, what it what it means is is that God acts different. Or the the command to us would be to to act different. When when you remember when God in that passage is saying, Remember what I've done, it's so that the people would act different. And when God remembers in the Bible, he acts different based on information. And so I just that's a great, great passage, great thoughts, Brian. I want to thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for making time. Great to be here. And I want to thank all of you for listening to the Search in Your City podcast. If you've got a thought, a comment, a question, anything, send it along to us. We've got an email, podcast at searchnational.org. If you're enjoying this, please subscribe to our feed, share these with your friends. And until next time, thanks for listening.